Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. We'll just give you a few moments. We're going to practice some silence and solitude. Beautiful fall weather today. To find that center of wherever you might be in your faith journey here in New York, whether you're new or this is your home, to hear the voice of God leading you wherever he is doing in you and through you. So let's exhale. All the ruminating, automatic thoughts that weigh us down. All the thoughts that speak against what Henry Nouwen calls us as his beloved. And lay it before the feet of the Lord. And inhale the sweet presence of God. His beautiful plans for you. And the fact that he is with you, whether you're in the valley of the shadow of death or whether you're in the mountaintop. All God's people pray. Amen. So last week, we began a new series with the aim of distilling basic Christian vernacular in a way it's traditionally understood today, here and now, in contrast to how Jesus would have understood them in the first century, 2,000 years ago, then and there. Tell someone next to you, then and there. So when we look at Scripture, what we see is a gap between what happened then and there, and in order to understand that gap and to apply it here and now. Words such as calling... Discipleship and even tithing paint various ideas from all we have gleaned throughout an array of experiences across the years, and perhaps more importantly, have caught and absorbed through osmosis. For example, at one time in the Ritz-Carlton in Singapore, after eating about a week in these fine uh, hotel restaurants, I asked, a forbidden question. I said, do you have anything like sesame chicken, one on chicken, or anything without fish eyeballs in it? And uh, my friends and the waiter there looked at me funny. And I was just like, what? This is the Ritz. How could you not have sesame chicken? And my friend said, exactly. This is the Ritz. How could we have sesame chicken? Later I learned that sesame chicken is an American aberration. It's not ubiquitous in or to Asia. 
And I was awakened to this reality. And many times, that is a prophetic picture of our spiritual formation in America. A lot of times the tension of our discipleship and the way we understand even the most basic Christian doctrine is imposed and influenced by our presuppositions. And they are really American, North American aberrations and not really Jesus's intention. And so there's this gap that exists. And so if there is deformation or parts of our walk with God that is deformed in many ways, it's because we're not really finding life in the scriptures. What we end up doing is what we call eisegesis. Tell someone, eisegesis. You know when people say, I see Jesus? They say, well, I see Jesus in the text here. And you most likely could find him. But I see Jesus is reading your presuppositions into the text, being shaped by your assumptions, rather than exegesis, which is what? Being shaped by the text, by the intention of the text, in its historic social context. And so the series that we're on, the simple series, last week we talked about calling made simple. Today I want to talk about discipleship made simple. We want to fill in those gaps between the aberration and Jesus' intention and help us be formed in the way Jesus is actually speaking about in the text, like this chapter we'll exposit today and excavate together. So, discipleship. We did calling last week. Discipleship made simple. It's today's message, simple title. Instead of spending a lot of time in the modern era trying to deduce or deduct the word discipleship based on our experiences, let's look at the word discipleship itself, the root words, not in a vacuum, but based on this text. And rather than trying to break it down by definition, let's glean from what it actually is in the passage. So the suffix, the prefix of discipleship is clearly the word what? A disciple. And disciple simply means what? Learner. If you were in Star Wars, you would be a youngling. Tell someone next, you're a youngling. Right? A disciple or learner. And the suffix in the word discipleship is the word ship. Like internship, it's a pedagogy. Pedagogy, pedagogical mechanisms are used in education to teach methods of learning. How do you inform that learning in the best way possible? Harvard Business School uses something called a cohort mechanism, pedagogy. Meaning when they accept applications for Harvard Business, they don't really care about the lecturers, they care about the students. You learn from that pedagogy from a diverse experience of all the students. And that's why it's very difficult to get in because they're looking for diverse leaders to add to the structure, the subtext of everyone's life for a richer experience. And these two things is clearly seen in this text. So let's look at it right now. And two things we're looking at here is this. Jesus says to his disciples, wearing a towel, 
and he is kneeling. This is before the Passion Week, and he's about to wash his disciples' feet. Now, this idea of kenosis or emptying yourself has never been seen before in leadership of history. The Roman Empire itself has been a brutal, where emperors and gods prey on the weak. They don't. Gods don't bend their knee and wash the feet of slaves. That is a disorienting paradigm. And so when Peter, who's usually the most outspoken, how many people here are like Peter? You're outspoken and you're, you know, you're one of those learners in class who disagree with the professor. That's why I'm wearing this jacket today. Very professorial. And, um, and Peter says to Jesus, almost in a hyperbolic fashion, never, Lord, you will never wash my feet. And then Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you can, have, you can have no part of me. And then Peter says, right after that, okay, then wash all of me. And then she's like, chill, bro. I don't want to wash all of you, just your feet. So then the question I have for you in this narrative is, why is Peter so quickly and adamant to rebuke Jesus or disagree with Jesus, and then even quicker to stand corrected? One reason, the prerequisite and the heart of discipleship. He was teachable. So the prerequisite of a disciple, which the definition is a learner, is teachability. Ask, one, ask someone next to you, are you teachable? If you're teachable, raise your hand if you're teachable. You're like, yes, I'm teachable until someone offends you, right? I see this in your life. What? Science has already proven that receiving any feedback is difficult for anyone, presidents and even middle schoolers. Doesn't matter who you are, ego is at stake. But the prerequisite of discipleship is not just learning, it's submitting to learning. And so Peter was quick to say, yes, Lord, because he was teachable, malleable. To what Jesus was teaching. You see, in, in Jewish culture, when you become a disciple, it, it was actually very ubiquitous. Jews in this century, and even now the Orthodox Jews, can memorize the whole five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, which is known as the Torah, by verbatim. Meaning, even the dumbest kid in Sunday school, after reciting it orally, for years and years, could recite all of Leviticus. How many people try to read Leviticus before? Raise your hand. How many people quit? <laughs> John's like, I couldn't do it. Too many laws. I mean, so even the average disciple in the Jewish tradition in the first century knew the Bible inside out because it was memorized orally. It was spoken and prayed for every day. So the disciples knew the Bible, in a sense. They knew the scriptures inside and out. Why they sought out a rabbi was to how to apply that in civic life. And people would seek this rabbis all the time. It was something they wanted to do. Disciples want to please God, which is a foreign concept sometimes. You want to please God? I want to sin. Well, in the paradigm of the Jewish context in this passage, if you thought kosher through the lens of kosher, the disciples wanted to please God. 
and that's a reverse in many ways in discipleship in America because we think of discipleship as memorizing or learning something I didn't know. In Jewish life, in a kosher life, it was actually in applying what I know to real life. Now, I don't know about you, but how many people here stubborn and flawed like me? How many people get offended when people speak, try to speak into your life? I do. One of the things I didn't know when I was in Singapore was that when I was uncomfortable about the food, and I have a very sensitive track with food, I have a problem. Hanger issues and hunger issues, but that's a story for another time. And, you know, I was complaining about the fish eyeballs because the fish eyeballs was there a lot. And I wanted something more familiar and more comfortable, something that I'm used to, something that I'll enjoy. I realized later that in Asian culture, they give the fish eyeballs to the most honored guest. I didn't know when they were taking us to the Ritz Carlton and all the you know, the Marian Oriental and all the five-star hotels and putting what they would call delicacies, which I thought was disgusting in colloquial terms by all my crazy rich Asians were eating. I didn't know they were honoring me. I was just complaining. Here, Jesus is trying to honor Peter about the leader that he should be, the leader he can be, the leader he had the potential to be, but he was uncomfortable a king or even a God serving him. A lot of times in our life, this is a prophetic picture. And people want to speak into our lives about the very values we say we agree to as Christians, but we get offended by them because of ego. Ego comes in the way, gets in the way of us being formed more into the formation and the person God wants us to be. Tell me something I'm not preaching to somebody. Just the people on watching online, not you guys. You don't need that. Yeah, it, we think people are trying to give us fish eyeballs. Ew. But in the most, in, the, in, a, in, a, in a different way, think about this next time, applying this directly, the idea of teachability. Next time someone offends you, don't just react and be like, oh my God, what do you think you are? And all the things that rise out of you. Don't ask, I don't want to hear this, and don't think that. Think twice about the context. Think about where it's coming from, and ask the question, do I need to hear this? Ask someone next to you. Tell, tell them, do I need to hear this? It's not about what you want, right? I mean, one of the things I learned at Singapore before the movie Crazy Rich Asians came out was about a world of crazy rich Asians. A mentor of mine put me in front of a banquet and told me last minute that I'm speaking. And then he said, by the way, there are prime ministers and seven billionaires in here. But I'm not even dressed. I almost, you know, I was like kind of concerned. Thank God I brought my white jacket. I was glowing. I mean, <laughs> but Sometimes what's comfortable doesn't expand you or form you or grow you. Being comfortable means you'll stay in the same place. 
that's not what a disciple, the heart of discipleship is. It's about being uncomfortable. It's about being in the tension and allowing it to form you and grow you and expand you in your uncomfort. So where are you today in your teachability? Because that's the degree of your, how, where your discipleship is going. Because at the heart of discipleship, it means to learn. And if you're not learning, just memorizing and not applying, it means you're not growing. So that's the first thing we learn. And then you look at the second thing. If the prerequisite of discipleship is teachability, a heart that is teachable, that's the first thing. Having a heart that's teachable. Peter had that heart, and that's why he became the leader of the church, the rock, the foundation in which the church was built in the very beginning. Secondly, what you see here is a very vulnerable hurt Jesus. When the text even says that he was speaking and he was filled with grief. Because this was the Last Supper, which we can imagine in our minds because of the painting. Jesus says, one of you will betray me. How many people here have been betrayed or hurt before? You know how that feels? Once you've been betrayed, and once you've been traumatized by someone you trust, sometimes it could be a leader, sometimes it could be a friend, and sometimes counseling is all about psychotherapy, is about how the person who you should have been there for you, the paternal figure, betrayed your trust. They didn't take care of you. What ends up happening is you draw walls. You believe every single person, look at the person next to you right now. Young and Sean, look at, look at each other's eyes very closely. <laughs> what happens under trauma, if you, if you see this through a psychological lens, with Jesus speaking of this betrayal, Judas betraying him, it feels in trauma, and, and the trigger says, everyone is not trustworthy, and any, everyone will betray me. And, and the degrees are someone from the street to someone I know well in my job or even my church. And it's hard to trust, and hard, it's hard to open up. And social isolation is pervasive in our culture because of these reasons. Relationships are hard. And then you ask the theological question most people ask about this text. Did Jesus know that someone was going to betray him beforehand, before he chose this community? These 12 people. Did he know? Yes. Did he specifically know? That's ambiguous. We don't. No. But the, the scriptures say to fulfill the prophecy of being the Messiah, he had to be betrayed. What does the Old Testament say? He had to be betrayed by what? By a friend. By a kiss. Meaning they had to be intimate. Meaning Jesus had to let him in. And they go, was that just prophetic? Was he just doing it, you know, in a binary fashion? No. Jesus knew he would be betrayed, but he invited people in anyway. He chose a pedagogy that would hurt him. He invited people into his life. He just didn't preach from the crowd. Actually, all the people he preached to left at the crucifixion. And, and that's at the heart of discipleship in a very powerful fashion. We are going to 
have to allow people to come into our life. In The idea of intimacy is to see into me, and if people can see into you, they can hurt you. It's a double-edged sword. Sometimes you need community that's soft. How many people like soft community? You know, hugs, there for you, I'm praying for you. But it can't be too soft. Because sometimes you're in danger. You need also hard community, some hard and soft. You need fire and ice. But if you really did the math, one time, and it reminds me of the story of Einstein teaching a university already renowned for developing the theory of relativity in Germany. He wrote the nine times table on the board. Nine times one to 10. And then when it came to the 10th, nine times 10, he wrote 91. Einstein, instead of 90. And the class, postdocs and PhDs and students just began to hysterically laugh because it was so unexpected laughing at him. And then Einstein said, he told everybody to calm down and said, well, this is the story of my life. I get nine things right and I get one wrong and everybody focuses on that. Now, Einstein's a genius when it comes to physics. I don't think he's a genius when it comes to relationships. Because from afar, you can impress people and then disappoint people from afar. But up close, people see the things you're doing well. People remember that you were there for them nine out of the ten times. If you look at, flip it in a positive way, they see the nine times you were there. And if you read this passage carefully, there's only one person that betrayed Jesus. But even Judas, he hung himself because of guilt. Or hanged himself because of guilt, because of the impact Jesus made on his life. So I know you all been hurt. Uh, so have I. When I was a young pastor, I was so naive. My wife was like, why are you so stupid? I said, because I have faith. She goes, but you're just dumb stupid. Like, how could you let in people like that? Like that? Like, this is severe transparency. Well, that's how Jesus lived his life. Exactly, right? And, and one of the things I learned through the 20 years of ministry was, now that I've been mugged by reality, and so have you, can I let people in in my life still, knowing the insidious sides of humanity? And I say yes. Because without opening your life up and being in close proximity, you cannot learn and be formed into the image of Jesus. It just doesn't work because Jesus did it this way. He did it in close proximity. So, the second thing we learn in this passage about discipleship is a commitment to community in close, what? Proximity. That's why long-distance relationships don't work. Someone could tell you it could work. It can't. You need to fight to the death. <laughs> you need to argue. You need to go to dinner in your PJs, not always dressed up in, with, through deception. You gotta be honest. You have to go through the humdrum moments of life 
in order for even a romantic relationship to work, and that's barely making it work. If you want to become like Christ, you want to become someone that makes this world better, like the disciples have. It's difficult and arduous and annoying. The second prerequisite is, is a commitment to community in close proximity. It's the only way that's going to happen. Your only, this pedagogical me- mechanism that Jesus used himself, this cohort-based model, it's the only way. Small groups, community-based, is the only way you can become like Jesus, more like Jesus. Because any other way, we'll just lie to each other about how polished we are and how accomplished we are and not share our fears and our hopes and our grief and our brokenness. So today, that's the invitation the text is giving us, right? And that's how we want to be formed today. Stand and pray together. So two things I want to ask. Will you lift your hands with me to the Lord today? And um, through reflection is this. As a believers, let's ask the question, do I have a teachable spirit? Am I teachable? Or does my ego and my pride get in the way? And even my stupidity get in the way of me really learning and applying life-changing truth spoken by Jesus. I think that's a very pertinent question. Because if all we're doing is being defensive and, and saying, I know that already, and stubborn, then we'll never change and become more like Jesus. Let's pray. Make us teachable. And if you're a seeker, that teachability applies to us when you explore the gospel message about Jesus. Will you really hear the gospel for what it is rather than what you've heard about it? Will you see Jesus for who he is rather than what you assume? Are you really coming with an open heart and open mind? Make us our prayer.
Father, we come before you this afternoon. Help us in the dark side of our discipleship. If we're just around people that tell us what we want to hear or appease us, and that our friendships are maintained on a peace, then we'll be comfortable, but we won't expand and grow. We'll know the truths of Scripture, but it won't make any impact on our lives and it won't make any impact on the lives of others because we will not live it out. Will you pray today that in those moments where our defenses rise up and our pride is provoked, will you pray? Say, Holy Spirit, help me to really be opened and ask the question, yes, this is not what I want to hear, but is it something I need? Will it help me change? Let's pray for that ability that's pliable and changeable. So that we can become more like Christ and love in the end our friends, our neighbors, our families, and the world to reflect His glory. Father, help us forgive and walk this difficult journey of forgiveness and, and proximity in community, being wounded. And then I want you to consider this as we close today, folks. If it took the disciples three and a half years, almost four years to live out the gospel, and they still failed after the fourth year, the Bible, the Torah, the God's law, inside and out, by verbatim almost, in their heart. Then, it'll take about close to a decade to try these, live out these truths, and still struggle through it. The idea of growing means incrementally, little by little. Not 
perfection the progression. So I want to give you some grace today. I give you permission to be like, yes, I suck. Yes, we all suck together. We're on the struggle bus together. We're changing together. That's the part of being in community. I bless you today. So will you bow your heads today? Oh, actually right before I give the benediction. We do want to make an announcement quickly about Days in the Sun. This is our last one. We'll be in the theater next week. But our Day in the Sun budget has been in the red for the whole year. We have an honor policy at the bookstore, at the cafe. We will not be chasing people. We're not even looking who's giving or not, okay? If you haven't given the Day in the Sun through, you forget, because everybody forgets, make a generous donation today so we don't close out in the red this year. And I mean very generous. Pray how much you can give and give to it so we can close out the year positive or we're raising rates from next year. <laughs> Bow your heads for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a blessed day. Sunday. So glad to see you all here. My name is Haley and I'm a member here at 180 Church and I will be sharing some community news with you. First off, let's talk about tithes and offering. If you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you continue to keep God at the center of your finances and to tithe faithfully, which you can do using Venmo, Zelle, Chase QuickPay, or PayPal. If you're a visitor here with us today, we welcome you to our service and there's no financial obligation to give. But if you'd like to make a donation, you can do so with the methods above. Next, we have Bible Reading Group. We have an Instagram handle and a Tumblr page at 180BRG where you can join us at any time to read the Bible. Feel free to follow along and feed your soul with the Word of God. Next, there are devotionals on sale at the 180 Cafe. They're great to help you get in the habit of praying and connecting with God every day. Sometimes I find it hard to find, form the words to pray, but these devotionals have been so helpful and inspirational. They're available at the 180 Cafe and it's an honor system. So you can purchase them via Venmo or QuickPay. Speaking of prayers, we have our prayer hotline. We invite you to use this resource to ask for prayer for anything or anyone in your life, and it's completely confidential. You can text 5397PRAYER or email prayer at 180church.tv and know that there will be a team praying for you on the other end. Prayers are so powerful, and I can't tell you how many times my prayers were heard and answered. So I want to encourage you to get out there and pray and ask for prayer for where two or three are gathered in his name god is with them yes so let's talk about social media there these are the ways you can stay connected with us throughout the week we have several media outlets from facebook to instagram to dr sammy's twitter page and even our youtube page we are very active on social media and there are multiple ways to share the message with your friends and family and also stay connected in the community Let's not forget about our YouTube live stream. We know that things pop up and it's not always possible to physically attend Sunday service, but not to worry because Sunday service is being live streamed weekly on YouTube, so you never have to miss another service. 
So say hello to the YouTube viewers. Hello. And it's also a great way to share the gospel with friends and family. Next up is small groups. Small groups are a great way to process what you heard on Sundays with brothers and sisters along the journey of faith. We know that no one is meant to do faith alone, and small groups have been an amazing way to know that we are in this together. It's also a great way to um, get to know each other, grow deeper in, with, in relationship with each other, and reflect and apply sermons to our daily lives. And honestly, it's so much fun. I look forward to it every week to meet with the group and you know, we just have fun doing life together. So that's great. Um, adult groups meet on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Young adult groups meet on Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. College Fellowship meets on Mondays at 7.30. And if you need any additional info, please speak to any of the greeters in 180 shirts or hoodies. Now, this is the exciting one. Are you, are you guys ready? Okay, I, I want to introduce 180 merch, okay? I know, you've been all waiting for this. It's not exclusive anymore. You can purchase your 180 merch at the 180 Cafe. There's a variety of tops in different fabulous colors, all donning the stylish 180 um, emblem and other cool designs. Like some of them have like cool designs on the back. Not mine, but others. Um, so you can get one of those. Uh, after service, you can head straight to the 180 Cafe to purchase your new 180 shirt, hoodie, or sweatshirt. And they can be purchased with the same honor system as the devotionals. If you have any questions, you can speak to our merch designer, Andy, wherever he is. Oh, he's in the back. There he is. Um, and he can help you. And I can't wait to twin with all of you once you purchase your merch. Okay, next we have Day in the Sun. Our next Day in the Sun will be on May 15th at 12.30 p.m. We will be meeting at the East Pintum in Central Park. So be on the lookout for an email to RSVP. Let's pray for beautiful May weather and an awesome time of fellowship. Also, let's start thinking about the people in our lives who we can invite and share the good news with. Uh, now, for those of you with the heart to serve or feel like you're being led to serve, we have children's ministry. We need volunteers to serve, love, and teach our church's youngest members. They are really doing meaningful and soul-filling work there. My children are learning that they are God's treasures, like I told you last time. And also, my daughter always gets super excited for Sunday school. She says, oh, she loves Sunday school, so they're having a good time there. Um, they are building relationships and growing up in this community feeling loved and known, and that's really special. So if you want to be friends with our community's littlest members and be loved by me and other parents, go see Michelle Kim or Pastor Lydia for more details. Next, we have cafe volunteers. Coffee brings me so much joy, and I know it brings you guys joy too. So you can share some joy by serving up a cup of coffee before service. No barista skills are required. So if you want to serve or impress people with your latte art, please see Danny O or Wendy Lee for more details. And lastly, we have greeting volunteers. Who doesn't love a friendly face when they walk in? I know everybody does. And if you want to be that friendly face that brings smiles and makes people feel welcomed, this is for you. If you're interested, please see Danny O or Wendy Lee for more details. Now those are all of our announcements we have today.